We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. The Zone Coverage Podcast Network. Feel like Kobe in a fourth quarter. This is the Dane Moore NBA podcast brought to you by ZoneCoverage.com and the Zone Coverage Podcast Network. It is Wednesday night before game six of the NBA Finals, which means we're eight days away from the NBA draft, 18 days away from free agency beginning. And yeah, because wow. I, 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 <laughs> it, I was just thinking, you know, with this Anthony Davis stuff just comes out and it's like a, a trade negotiations are are going down and I'm here with Charlie Johnson in studio as always. Um, I was like, okay, so, so super smart that, you know, you've literally dragged this out to like 10 and a half, 11 months of NBA engagement. But I, I got that Anthony Davis notification. I was just like, is this getting in the way of like the main thing, like the NBA finals? Like I, I love, I mean, I, I love the off season almost as much as I love the basketball, but it, it just felt it felt like it got in the way a little bit for me today. I wonder if it was Cavs Warriors again in this finals, if it would have gotten in the way even more. Yeah. I just think there's like a enough storylines going on with Kawhi and now with Kevin Durant getting injured that it would be almost impossible to like overtake it. But I know mm-hmm. what you mean. Like it's kind of unfortunate timing. Yeah. And I mean, I don't know if the league, the league probably doesn't even want that. They would like to focus, you know, want people to be watching the games, this and that. But by setting up the schedule as is, where like it's game seven and then four days later it's the NBA draft. Mm-hmm. Le- like, what are you supposed to? If you're trying to make a trade for a draft pick, like I don't, I, don't, I saw totally. that just Justin Patton is working out today for the Toronto Raptors, yeah. who play game six of the NBA Finals tomorrow. Like, just it, it, it's got to be just chaos for every franchise. Or, you know, uh, Toronto and Golden State have these very ambiguous off seasons coming up and. How are you supposed to prepare for that when you literally are preparing for the NBA Finals? It's totally, just, it's that's a, a competitive disadvantage, I guess. If yeah, for the future, it's weird. Anyways, we're not going to talk about that. Um, <laughs> we're going to focus on the Timberwolves and ha- the first half. We're going to go into um, Charlie wrote a piece today on the site about six NBA draft prospects who kind of are more defensive minded, lean defense, and how they would fit or, or not fit with the Wolves, and then. After that, we'll get into six free agents who are similar, defensive-minded sort of guys, and uh, yeah, how they, you know, kind of like a prospect. I found myself going through and I looked up like heights and wingspans yeah. because, like, I'm in that sort of mental mode right now. But that's how the Wolves can most easily address the roster as is is with with the draft and with these prospects. So we're gonna dig into that and. Let's just let's start with the draft. It's a defense podcast. It's a defense podcast. I like it. The, the, the Wolves need defense. So the Timberwolves. Here we are. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But it was. I thought it was really interesting, you know, to 
to use this lens in evaluating draft prospects, I tried to say what are the Wolves' three biggest needs, which I think are shoot three-point shooting, defense, and then playmaking on the perimeter. And I tried to go, okay, well, based on that, who are some players kind of I, I tried to steer away, steer away from like the Zion Williamson, uh, John Morantz, but anyone else, basically sure. anyone after the top two where the Wolves might be able to trade up and get or trade down and get, you know, which of those players kind of fit that mold? Are they three point shooting specialists? Are they lean defense? Like you said, or are they perimeter playmakers? And it was an interesting way to do it because it forced me to kind of go through all of the like projected first round picks and look at who's kind of touted by experts as almost a sure thing on the defensive end. And there were very few of them, fewer certainly than there were last year. Like you think about a guy like Josh Okogie, who's just the 20th pick. There were kind of like six Josh Okogies in that draft last year, and there really aren't this year. Okay, but they're like six Josh Okogies now. I wonder... I I don't think we knew Josh Okogie was this type of defender 12 months ago. No, but... There's there were guys like Jacob Evans and Kyrie Thomas and like people who yeah, didn't pan right. out like Okogie who were, you know, kind of defense guys, even like a Chandler Hutchinson with the Bulls, like right. that whole range from like 15 to where Kata Bates Diop was eventually picked at 48. They were just like it felt like a lot of those guys, whereas this year right. well, there were more wings last year. That's that true. Heavier. That's true as well. Yeah. But it was interesting. So I I really didn't look at or think much about where they'd be taken besides the fact that I didn't want them to be like a projected top two, top two pick. I wanted to keep Mm -hmm. the door open for maybe the wolves trade up or trade down. But I ended up for the defense column looking at Deandre Hunter, who would be an an option if the wolves do trade up, he's almost universally predicted to be taken at like five. And then I looked at Brandon Clark, who's a guy who is mocked to the Timberwolves often everywhere, everywhere. And is, kind of predicted to be taken in that range somewhere between maybe like 7 and 15. And then I also looked at Matisse Thibel, who is more of a, a late first-round pick, at least as projections right. would have it. So it's kind of interesting to go across the board. You want to just do you want to start with a specific one of those guys? I mean, I kind of, after reading yours, took some notes of my own, tried to watch a little bit here and there. What would you think? Of who? What do you, well, we've talked about Brandon Clark before, but I think he'd be an interesting place to jump off because I know he's a, a bit of a polarizing prospect in Timberwolves land. So I'm, I'm writing a Patrick Beverly article because I can't talk about anything Wolves related with <laughs> Patrick Beverly right now, I guess, because we're going to talk about him later. Uh, <laughs> but I don't know. I have, I have a weird comp for Brandon Clark, and it's Patrick Beverly. Huh. And I know that doesn't make sense. Yes, Brandon Clark measured shorter at the combine, but he's not a point guard like Patrick mm-hmm. Beverly. I, I very much get that. But in having the chance to have looked into Clark a little bit more and actually watched a little bit of him, what what's I he's growing on me in the sense that I feel so confident that he can be a defender who can can work in any scheme. And that's why I think of Patrick Beverly. Mm. And the attra- to start with Beverly, like the, the attraction to me for Beverly is that you saw him play in Houston in a switch heavy scheme, him and Clint Capella up at the point of attack. And he did that really, he did that really well. And that was, that was successful. And then he moves to LA and now he's in a drop scheme playing with like freaking Boban and <laughs> Zubats and Harrell where they're, you know, where they're dropping the big and he's, he was equally effective in that sort of way. And, and not, not necessarily switching, but pushing the the guard towards the big in, into the lane. And, I think about that with Brandon Clark is I could see him in either of those types of schemes. I mean, if you if you look at Clark, you could say I could see him playing for the Houston Rockets. Yep. Playing in that sort of capacity as a as the Clint Capella jumping up to switch or as the the off ball guy able to, you know, stunt into the lane and and be there to to play Houston Rockets defense. But at the same time, I I could see him in a more you know, a more conservative scheme where where you're dropping the big and it's really important that the off-ball guys are good help defenders and able to bring a double at at the right time or able, in Clark's case, to, to come over and be that secondary rim defender and, you know, contest shots at the rim. So I, I see Brandon Clark much like I do Patrick Beverly where you go, you know, yeah, there's maybe like some holes you can poke in their offensive game, but you should feel very confident that not only is he a good defender, but he can defend on any team in any scheme and do it at a high level. 
I think that's really interesting. I I had a different, more positional comp. I don't. I'm not any good at doing player comparisons, but <laughs> well, they're they're kind of dumb. <laughs> as, as Clark and Beverly was kind of dumb too. Well, I I think that's more interesting than the one that I the than the one that I would say. But I think that's a good point that he does seem like uh, a good fit, irregardless of scheme. His defense just really does look like it's going to translate. What he's good at is just so useful in the NBA. Um, but the the more positional comparison that came to my mind, who's another guy who I know we're going to talk about later in this podcast is like a Jamichael green, like Brandon Clark at his potential being like a Jamichael green who can jump really high. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. Yeah. So I, as I said, I was looking up the combine measurements for, for the players we're going to talk about later. And Jamichael green measured six, eight without shoes. Brandon Clark measured six, eight without shoes. I know we're very much freaking out about uh, Clark's wingspan not being long, but 6'8 is tall. Like, mm-hmm. Jermichael Green has played center. Yeah, He started against the Warriors at center later in that series. Like, he's very much a power forward. So it's not that it's not that Jermichael – or that Brandon Clark isn't tall enough to, to play a bigs position. The, the concern more comes that he will have, you know, the wingspan – to be able to handle the players who are faster than him. Yep. Because you are going to get switched on to guards and or just have situations where you need to defend those guys and how you make up for that lack of speed because you're bigger yep. is the wingspan. Mm-hmm. And so that it's it's interesting you bring that up because Jermichael's wingspan is seven, two and a half. Sure. Yep. Which is Huge. six and a half inches longer than Brandon Clark's. Yeah. So he's just he's weird. It, it, it's hard to it's hard to draw a comparison exactly, and you know we don't need to do that. Like no. you don't have to. It can be that this player can work. I mean, look at like the finals. I just I keep thinking about the series, and there's players who aren't specific roles, like specific guys where you're like, oh, that's a three and D shooter, that's a rim defending center. Like the NBA, it's getting weirder and weirder with more and more miniature kind of groupings of players and that leaves room for ambiguity of a player who doesn't fall into a specific group to still be an effective player so i i I think i mean i think brandon clark is going to be an effective player in the nba i've we've talked about this before i have a lot of concerns just in general with the wolves whether it be through the draft or through free agency to invest heavily one of their few resources in a player who doesn't have much offensive ability, particularly shooting. Mm-hmm. And so that that's my concern with him. But if I'm evaluating the prospect and I'm a team that's concerned about defense, which the Timberwolves should be, like, it makes sense that he's mocked there. Like, yeah. it does. As, as I've taken more time to to soak that in, I'm, I'm, I was very confused initially. I was like, well, you tell me they're going to take this guy who has the most broke jump shot I've ever seen? Like, <laughs> that makes no sense. But it, it's beginning to make a little bit more sense to me. It's still probably not my first choice of what to do with that pick but I like him yeah not my first choice either uh and that's mostly because I don't quite buy into the hype on his jump shot you know like he he totally redid his jump shot when he transferred to Gonzaga and he jumped up for like from like 53 to 62 percent from the free throw line which like yeah that's a nice you know a nice bump like that that's meaningful tangible yeah. improvement but he's like shooting 25 percent from three on half and a half an attempt a game and I th- the person he would be a perfect fit on the defensive end next to Cat, assuming that his game translates like we think it will. But he just can't be a perfect fit next to Cat on the offense on the offensive end, unless he becomes a shooter that defenses have to respect. And that seems like a long ways off if it's ever going to come. And it would be at least for the first year, probably the next few years to come, where he would be the first big off the bench, right? Mm-hmm. As we for sure know that it's going to be Cat and Sarich. To you know, to to start this season as as the bigs, um, so you're going to be you're going to be a second unit big. And what you see around the league is like the mainstay of second unit offenses is you know pick and roll action. You know, taking advantage of your best offensive creator in that bunch. And you look at you look at Lou Williams, or or maybe it's Derrick Rose with with the Wolves, and you're you're running that pick and roll. Okay, you're the Clippers. You're running that pick and roll. Harold Williams, that's your main action. But you want to have that second big be able to vacillate from the dunker spot to the corner. And that's what Jermichael Green was great at when he was 
when he was with the Clippers this year is he made 41% of his threes yep. for them once he, he became a Clipper because he had the consistent mechanics to at least just catch and shoot. You know, if if Brandon Clark can be that, that's great. But it would be very shocking if in the first few years that you saw Brandon Clark become a, a 40% three-point shooter. Absolutely. I mean, and and so I, I think that should that should cause pause if you're the Wolves given the infrastructure they currently have in place. Yeah, and just given the other problems that they have to address as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you, which one of them is wing depth, so then you look at a guy like DeAndre Hunter who is probably going to get picked about five, and I think I could describe the way I felt about him in just about one sentence. I got obsessed with the idea of Okogi Hunter Covington on the wing, like basically at the two, three, four two years from now, like how deadly that could be. But what I kept coming back to is if you're the Timberwolves and you're going to do what it takes to trade up to, say, the the sixth pick, are you are you going to take Hunter or are you probably yeah. going to lean point guard? Right. And that's what I ended up coming well, back to. Well, because it's, it's not just that you have Covington, Akogi, uh, Hunter there. You're, yep. also, you're, you're fourth wing and lo- then locking in basically the entirety of your wing rotation mm-hmm. is Andrew Wiggins. Mm-hmm. And you then have four players, including Hunter, who are below average creators. Yes. And they're just effectiveness would not be that. Like, I don't know how you could look at that and be like, our wing situation is good offensively. Well, it would have to be Hunt. I mean, Hunter has the potential to take. He's, he's a good shooter. He's a good like catch and drive guy, but he's not. Yeah, but right now, I mean, I'm talking about like for this year. Yeah. Like, I, think, I hear what you're saying a couple years yeah. down the road. Yep. But I don't think if you're the Wolves, you'd be like, you can lock into I, I like I really don't like the idea of Hunter, I guess, for me. Yeah, that's R- fair. Because of the next two years where unless you are shake like he's a good player. He's worth the fifth pick or the sixth pick. But it's it would need to be if you've went out and got, you know, if you brought back Derek Rose and he's one of your creators, if you or if you find someone else, it's just you would be so limited on the wing, I I think in in, in the short term. In the short term. Yes. Yeah. I agree right. with that. Yep. And I just if if you're gonna trade up. Get Kobe White, get Darius Garland, like get a point guard. You need a point guard of the future. Yeah. But then we, we talked about the other side of the, last week with Darius mm-hmm. Garland is rookie point guards don't end up yeah translating well. Even even like the the high, uh, Colin Sexton last mm-hmm. year. I mean, it, you go down the list, even of high lottery picks or just lottery pick point guards. Like it takes time. Yeah, that's and, just if you're gonna. In my mind, if you're going to trade up, that's just an investment that you should make. Yeah, and but I get what I'm saying by that is just the, the more and more I think about it, and you look at who the players are, what their skill sets that you would be trading up for, mm-hmm. it just doesn't seem like a proper allocation of the resources that this team, you know, and, has. Unless you're willing to to not pursue playoffs as like your only goal this season, if you're Gerson Rosas and saying, look. We're just gonna need a point guard, and it's gonna be really hard for us to get a, a really good one, even a Patrick Beverly in free agency. So right. maybe it's worth taking the year of we're gonna win thirty eight games this year or thirty two games this year because we have a rookie point guard. But I do agree with you; like it, it would be harmful for their playoff hopes this season if that's what happened. Right. It, I understand the conservative approach, and I don't want to like be hypocritical because I think. I've said and written a million times of like, you know, Tibbs wasn't conservative enough. But it feels like you're in a different spot right now. And I just see past to trying to do a little bit of the more linear growth thing with this team that don't totally neglect the long view. Mm -hmm. And I don't know. It just, it, it it doesn't sit right with me unless the amount, you know, to give up to me. To move up six spots is is nominal. I just, but I can't. This is the worst time to to move up. It's the most expensive. It's like our guy is there at six. Yeah. Now we're giving up. We have to give up a lot to make that five. Like, I I just. So what if that's, as I've seen floated, eleven and Tyus Jones for is it six or seven from the Suns? Suns are six. Yeah. So I saw that floated eleven and Tyus Jones for six. Would you do that? And that, and let's say that's to take Kobe White, who was in for a workout. Maybe that's why he was in for a workout. Well, can't trade Tyus Jones, right? I think you can. You can trade him uh, restricted I, rights. I, 
I don't know. I, but what the but I'll, I'll humor is. you for the yeah for the or whoever voted it. You know, as what that asks. Let's say he is the, the had the the year left or whatever. No, I, I I don't think I would because you're giving up a young point guard who's shown you, you know, that he is a a capable NBA point guard and can and isn't going to cost you a bundle on the restricted market. Like, mm-hmm. I don't think, I mean, right now, it's, it's hard to think about it not right now because Tyus Jones is a neutral asset, right? Like, yeah. he's a restricted free agent. He's yeah. going to be paid his, his market value. Mm-hmm. So, so yes, but that type of asset, if you had a year left, I don't think I would. Yeah, and I get the idea of linear growth being appealing to a team that has not exhibited that in a long time. But I guess I'm a little bit more willing than you to to take a chance on something panning out a couple years, two years down the road. Yeah. Um, no, but, maybe that's smart. I mean, if you are really like this team to become a contender, contender needs to do a lot to get there. Yeah. Then you need to be taking shots that are the the more the more higher upside shots you can take, whether it's free agency trades, whatever, are ones that prioritize down the, down the road. Like going all in on D'Angelo Russell right now is like an immediate benefit, but it might not be as high as the upside of making the D'Angelo Russell trade that the Nets did to get him where it's like, okay, here's a depressed young asset. We'll take on Timothy Mozgov to take a shot at this guy. Yep. And... Well, that that makes sense. Like, that's what I wanted to do, see them do at the trade deadline. Dennis Smith Jr. Yeah. Sure, something you know, something yep. like that. But now it feels like they've kind of moved past that point, which makes me think they're for focusing more on now. Sure, and maybe they would want to use this if if that's what they're going to do is focus on the now a little bit more, especially as it relates to kind of free agency and not taking a chance on a point guard higher up in the draft. Maybe what they want to do is try to just get the biggest boom or bust lottery pick they can find, which, and pardon me for screwing up this name, but Dumbuya, the wing from France, who I didn't end up covering him for a whole section of my defense column because I don't think he's very good at defense and I don't, I couldn't find any evidence of it anyways. But he's one of those players that's just the, the absolute physical specimen that you dream of if you're an NBA executive. So if you can ingratiate some habits into him and let him develop some skills, then he could certainly become a really good defender. So if you want to try to go for this linear growth where we, you know, we're going to re-sign Tyus Jones, pursue a Patrick Beverly, but you still know in the back of your mind that's only going to get us so far, then maybe you look at a guy like Dumbuya mm-hmm. in the draft. Did you listen to... Uh- Doogie's most recent podcast. No, I haven't Taylor. yet. It's interesting. So Jordan Taylor went to University of Wisconsin. He's from Minnesota. Played so up can you pronounce the name for me? I think it's Sakuda Boya. Okay. All right. But I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> um, not, I, sorry. I, we'll, we'll figure we've, ta- we've talked about this before. It's like we ta- we called him Nemanja Bajelica for yep. like six months before we figured that out. And I'm Gorgie fi- Dang. And like you, you learn the name. They need to tell you. Or, and yeah. Kata. Even Kata. Yep. Like he you know, shared the pronunciation of his name. It's not intentionally, you know, yeah. butchering it. You'll, we'll, we'll find out in, in good time what mm-hmm. that is. But, uh, I mean, Jordan totally fueled the hype of, <laughs> as he's Saku's uh, teammate in yeah. France right now and, like, talked about him as brought up Siakam, brought up Giannis of the, you know, the body types and the, phys- the kind of raw physicality that you can tap into. But he was also very clear Taylor that is about there's so much work that needs to be done. Yeah. And he, and what I liked what Jordan said was it's, he needs to learn how to work mm. and he would be, he would have been just a senior in high school this year. If he, wow. you know, wasn't, I mean, so that is a long term play. Mm-hmm. It's a, it's the Zach Levine move that flip took, but what I mean, the downside of going with them or the counterpoint against it is this team is in a very different place than it was in 2014 when they drafted Zach Levine. Like, sure, take a late lottery shot on this guy with a wild vertical and kind of silky looking jump shot that doesn't really seem to get basketball right now. Mm-hmm. Like that made sense. Yep. And it paid off. It was it was a it was a good pick. Yeah. But 
that's, we know not always what happens. And what Jordan said too, he's like, you know, he could also be one of those guys who doesn't figure it out and he's back playing overseas in three years. Mm -hmm. That's the nature of the gamble. Yeah, exactly. And I think there's a little bit more leeway with a player like Dumbuya, who's a a wing. Whereas if you're going to go up and and draft a Kobe White, you do well to play them a ton of minutes because they need those reps to to get the bad habits out of their system and to, to grow. But you might be more willing with someone like Dumbuya to just send him to the G League or to just have him be more of a practice player for his first year where it may not actively harm your team as much as a rookie point guard would, but it's still an investment that could pay off one, two, three years down the road. That would be, it would be kind of hard for me to stomach using the 11th pick on a guy that you're like, have are decidedly putting in the G League for the entire year, given where the Wolves are. And if provided, you know that you could move that 11th pick to help you get off of one of the contracts they have. If, if you know that, if you know that you can trade 11 and Jeff Teague to someone and be rid of that, then that, then it's hard for me to say, no, instead we're going to choose to, to draft him and put him in the G league for a year or never really play him. Like, but that might not be the case. Yeah. And it, that might not be the, the, the value of 11, you know? So we, we don't know. We yeah. don't know what the, the values of those are, but I, I don't know. Like, I think I just am a little bit more willing than you to, to take a risk here. Yeah. I get, I get the, like getting off of Jeff Teague would be great. You can round out your roster with like some more capable veterans but that can only I just think that can only get this team so far. And if playoffs isn't your only goal, like playoffs is your goal this season, but a playoff run is your goal two seasons from now and then a championship run four seasons from now, the strategy of just like incremental growth, I don't think can get them there. Where where mm-hmm. with what where they're at right now. Counterpoint is I think to make that progression that you're talking about, to eventually make the leap, I think it's important to right now start playing the type of basketball that you want to start playing. Mm-hmm. And whether it's Jeff Teague or Gorgie Jang or whoever, maybe it's Dario Sarge, if they don't fit that vision, I understand and appreciate aggression to get off of that and sacrificing assets, maybe the 11th pick, to do so. I, I think to stall that for a couple of years, a year even, I don't know. I, I I really do feel that that could be, you know, counterproductive. Mm-hmm. But it depends on the value of the assets. It yeah. depends on all. It depends on all this. But and I think that's fair. Yeah, there's just a lot of ways to look at it. Right. I mean, and a lot of reasons to be excited. Yeah. And there'd be obviously be a lot of reasons to be excited about them trading up for DeAndre Hunter too. Maybe he is the creator, and maybe maybe now you're like, we do have a great young core. Everyone's what Covington's twenty seven, Wiggins twenty four. Akogi's 21, 20, 20 yeah. yeah. And and Hunter's, what is he, 21? 20, 20, 20, 21 and a half, yeah. You, like, you're like, wow, we have, and, and that that's great. Or maybe Deboya is the next, I mean, there's there's reason to be optimistic about lottery picks always. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, it's just, I really feel like you're in a can't mess this up. Totally. Situation with, with everything. Mm-hmm. You can't, you can't mess up this pick. You, you can't get forty percent of its value out of it. You can't get zero percent of its value out of it. If you, if you do Justin Patton again with this pick, that's devastating. Mm-hmm. I really feel so because you, you just had this impetus as far as the way the roster is constructed and the money is constructed. That it's it's the reason where, why you can't just say. All right, we want to pay Tyus six million a year, but we agree we'll sign three, we'll match three thirty. Like you, you can't do that because you can't take the risk of him being worth a fraction of that ten million. You just, it's just, it's just at this point where no more, no more room for mistakes. And if you, if you trade the pick, if you trade the pick and get the value of what 11 is, then you know you've gotten that value. You know what I'm saying? Like, mm-hmm. And there's a risk if you draft the player that that value goes away and you get zero or you get 10% of it. And I understand there's the upside 
that it becomes Pascal Siakam or whoever it is. Mm-hmm. But I would, I just think this team needs to be a little bit more conservative and, and trading the pick is the best way to be conservative in my opinion. Yeah. I think it's just an interesting conversation about whether the wolves need to be more aggressive because they need upside or whether they need to be more thoughtful or conservative for back of a letter for lack of a better term, because they need some sort of continuity and some sort of progression. Right. Um, you also had Matisse Thibel mm-hmm. in there, which he's late, late first in a lot. I think Sam Vecini had him 34th yeah, on his big board. Real which well. was lower than most. Yeah. Right. Um, but oddly, well, okay. What did you, what did you think about Thibel? I thought he seemed like a nice player. It's just like more of your classic 3 and D prospect where if you're going to trade down and get him, it's just like you're clearly saying we need defensive players. Like Gerson Rosas said, we need more defensive players on this team. And we think that at the slot he's projected to go, Matisse Thibault can become a, a solid defender and a solid three-point shooter. And that's just going to, you know, we're going to trade down and just bolster an area of need. I hate that he played zone in college. It's tough. Like, it, he was really good at it, though. <laughs> I, he was really good at it because he got a lot of blocks and steals, right? Yeah. I mean, that's what a lot of that opinion is shaped off of, right? Mm-hmm. Well, it's pretty much all it can be. He's a good help defender as well. He's got good instincts. But, yeah, it's all it really can be. But you know what's really easy to do? In a zone, get a lot of steals, get a lot of blocks, and be a help defender. That's just – I mean, that's – the nature of running a zone. Mm-hmm. And th- to me, that inherently inflates those statistics. I agree with that. And I just think, I, I, I like that he's an upperclassman, an older guy, so he has more experience, but it's going to be, it's going to be a big change to need to handle a one-on-one mm-hmm. responsibility when you haven't been doing that, particularly totally. on the wing against, you know, shooting guards in the NBA or, two, threes, whatever he's going to be defending. Like that just, that seems like, you know, a big risk. And I just think his skill set, as I understand it, is just, you put him on the Timberwolves, it's kind of reductive to Josh Okogie too. A little right? bit. Like, I mean, he's not going to, Josh Okogie is going to try to play himself into a role where he can have the ball in his hands. I don't think Thibault will. Can, yeah. I think he'll just always be kind of a peripheral weapon. And and that's great. I, I mean, you, I just don't think you can have, enough of those kind of players. I think the reason to your point like that, the fact that he played his own defense in college and there's no film on him trying to stay in front of smaller guards or athletic wings is probably why Sam Vecini has him at 34 mm-hmm. because his skill set, if that defense does translate at least based on my knowledge would, would predict him to be better than the 34th player in this draft. Sure. So I think that that is being accounted into mm-hmm. kind of his draft stock, but and really smart people really like his defense. Yeah. No, and I, 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 there are scouts who obviously, and Sam, or like the ringer has him going 21st. Like, yeah. Those guys know more about Matisse Thibel than I do. But I just think there's, totally. you know, reason for caution there. What I like about him is he might be a second round pick. Mm-hmm. And just in kind of working stuff with the Wolves this offseason, you start running out any sort of hypothetical, you, you start thinking about money, right? And for the Wolves, there's just value in second-round picks. If Whatever second-round pick, I mean, they have 43, like that, that contract will cost them $721,000 less as a cap hit than a anyone else, yeah. than a veteran, than if they bring in Mitch Creek or they sign Luol Deng or a- anyone, any of those guys – and those players might be better, but there's there's value for the Timberwolves to have one, maybe even two of those guys on the roster because then the cap hit is smaller. Two of those guys, it's we're talking one point almost one point five million dollars, and that that might be the difference in being able to have the space to bring back Tyus Jones or to bring back Derrick Rose or to go and get mid level guy X. Like that stuff might matter. So I was thinking about it and thinking about Thibel is. I like the idea of them trading to the top of the second round. Mm, mm-hmm. So you can you can grab a guy there. However, I was looking at it, and the top four picks of the second round are Brooklyn, Phoenix, Philadelphia, Philadelphia. No coincidence <laughs> that Brooklyn, Philadelphia, and Philadelphia are there 
teams are going to be up against the tax. Yep. It saves them almost a million bucks. You know, those picks are more valuable. I feel confident saying, like, the 32nd pick, if the Wolves can get that from Phoenix, is a lot more valuable to them than the 27th pick if they were to if they were to trade for it. Yep. And that's that's kind of always the case because you can negotiate that deal in, in a different sort of way. It's just a, a weird way things are set up. But I like the idea of the Wolves or any tax press team trading with Phoenix at 32. Yeah. And if, you know, if Thibault falls in line with Vecini's opinion and he's there or, you know, there's other other guys who are like maybe upperclassmen more ready to contribute totally. right away. Like Cam Johnson, who we talked about last week is just, I mean, right. he probably would be at the worst, like a very late first round pick, but maybe that's, you know, what it ends up but being. Who knows if somebody is going to fall like yeah. Carson Edwards, yep. that guy's too small. Like, and he, exactly. ends up, and he ends up falling there and you're like, well, we'll, we could use a, we could use a backup point guard who's, totally. who can shoot from a million miles <laughs> away. <laughs> right. Like, so I just, I'm, I'm interested in that and think there's value in the Wolves trading up to 32 from 43 to 32. I don't think the Nets or Sixers are going to have much interest in trading those or just finding a way to buy a pick in the second round because there's value in cutting some, you know, tax money to be able to, you know, to make that work. So totally. I got my pin. I got a pin in that. I like it. I, I would like that. Let's uh, let's move into some free agents. We already kind of <laughs> blew the cover a little <laughs> bit. Um the three guys I wanted to focus on, I tried like you did, kind of did like a guard, wing, and big. Mm-hmm. And um, I know we've talked about Patrick Beverly a ton, but I have just moved to being like, in my ideal offseason, he is in it. With Why? What, 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 I mean, I know he was maybe not to like to a T like this, but I know it was a week ago. So what? Yeah, I, I, I just think that... He addresses the point guard position mm-hmm. in a way that isn't – it doesn't swallow Tyus Jones or Derrick Rose either. You could certainly find ways to split those minutes up or play them together. I mean, I think you could bring back Tyus, bring back Rose, and have Beverly, and it makes some sense because you now have – you can do – you know, Ty, Tyus can only really play the one, but Rose has shown he can play the two, and Beverly certainly has. He's mm-hmm. played – I mean – with the Clippers, I mean, d- defensively, he played off the ball a ton. Yep, because they had Shea Gilders Alexander, at, you know, at the point like he he fits so well in my mind with f- for a team who needs a kind of ambiguous point guard, and I, I think that's exactly what the Wolves need. And like I said before, he's shown that he can play in any defensive scheme. Now with David Vanterpool coming in, I think we at least see it being a possibility that. There's going to be a diversity of the way, the ways that they defend. And Vanterpool coming from Portland, where they drop the bigs all the time with Nurkic, and that kind of was the foundation of their defense. Beverly can do that. He did that with the Clippers. He can switch, as Ryan and Rosas both talked about. You know, at their press conferences, we want to get way more switchy. I just think he he fits either of those defensive schemes, and I just think Patrick Beverly is a very underrated. Offensive player. Totally. I, I agree with that last part, too. I think he's very underrated. I mean, and I mean, anybody who can defend the point of attack like that and demand a defender's attention from three is just an, a very valuable player. And I, I sometimes think the perception of Patrick Beverly is like he's this guy who just spotted up off of Lou Williams and hit corner threes, like catch-and-shoot corner threes. Like, that's not the case. He made 50% of his corner threes this yeah. year. That's really good. Yep. But he shot almost four times as many threes above the break. Where he would off the dribble, yep, like shoot threes. They would set a, a pick for him, and he would. I mean, it's not like a step back like James Harden, but he did that. I mean, yep. he, he he played in that sort of capacity. He can't get to the rim. That's not. I mean, he tries to over sprint to the rim and struggles there. He made I looked up like thirty eight percent of his shots in the lane. Like that's pretty terrible. It's not a strength, but he could do a lot of things from a lot of different areas on the perimeter and. He's not a point guard who needs the ball at all. Yep. Again, if you're going to bring back Derrick Rose, Ty Strong, I mean, it just, it makes a lot of sense to me that he be, and I don't think it's a risk that you give him a multi-year mid-level deal. I don't either. Like you can, you can throw that 440 at him like the Rockets did to PJ Tucker a few years back. And that just, it, 
that just doesn't strike me as a high risk deal. I understand he's 30, so it'd be what, 30, 33, the last year of it making 10 million, 10 million. Like, how much less is Patrick Beverly going to be worth than 10 million four years from now? Unless he gets hurt, not much. Yeah, I just, it, if you end up drafting another point guard in the future or you deem, you know, two years from now that you want to have a different type of creator at, at the point, like I, I think it would be a deal that you could get off of easily, wouldn't end up being this sort of burden. It just, for where the Wolves are at, Patrick Beverly just makes a ton of sense to me. I imagine that after six months of Patrick Beverly being on the Wolves, Carl Anthony Towns just being like, I love playing with this guy. <laughs> and I also... I don't have to do anything. Yeah. <laughs> maybe maybe this is a foolish take because I would have said the same thing when the Wolves traded for Jimmy Butler, but the underdog mentality and the toughness that Patrick Beverly brings is something that the Wolves generally don't have enough of and that they could really benefit from. I just... am. <laughs> Patrick Beverly and Robert Covington on the defensive end. Well, and a Kogi at the point of attack. That's three really good point of attack defenders. You just can't, out there. You can't do much better as far as helping Cat goes than that, as, assuming Okogi takes yep. another step. Yep. I it's makes a ton of sense to me. Yeah, I like it. Bulldog mentality related is Jermichael Green. We've yep. already kind of talked about too, but um, I, I just started thinking about him through the lens of how Taj Gibson was used last year. And Gibson certainly served all, a purpose of a lot of value as a um, defensive player and uh, a, a strong defensive rebounder. Uh, Jermichael Green will provide a lot of that. He doesn't have anywhere near the the post prowess that that Taj does. He's he, he's not going to be he's not going to be living in the lane. He'll, yep. he'll he will slide again from that dunker spot to the corner where he's shown he could make a lot of threes which is all the wolves wanted Taj to do yes but he couldn't he it just it wasn't it wasn't his skill set now we're talking about this through the lens of defense and there there's kind of two lines of thought with Jermichael Green the past this season you want to look at advanced defensive metrics which we know are not perfect he was the third worst power forward in defensive RPM which is bad. He was only only above uh, Omari Spellman and Marvin Bagley. Oh, good so company. That's, that's <laughs> not a good company. Um, but that includes the, his time in Memphis, where he was he was hurt at the beginning of the year. Um, not great. Yeah. The year before, also bad defensive metrically. But go back two years before, where he was fully healthy and he was a well above average defensive big. So it's like, I don't know. He he's someone who. I don't want to freak out about metrics with or, or stats with. He's a six foot nine guy with a seven over seven two seven three wings. Yeah, like that, and is only twenty eight years old. Mm-hmm. And I think can be had for under the mid level. Yeah, well, and when you're a team that's cash strapped like the Wolves are, you're going to need to try to find some sort of market efficiency, and if that or market inefficiency, excuse me, and if that market inefficiency is the fact that Jamichael Green has been hurt on and off for the last couple of years so his value mm-hmm. is subdued then then jump on it and i do think he's he, 28 too like not yeah, 31 yeah like, not 31 yeah exactly and i also think he's and maybe this is just the injuries but even when he's kind of playing better he's still a very up and down volatile player which yeah. i think can work with the wolves since they do have front court depth i think gorgie jang is kind of that way too where you're like Man, some days, yeah, Gorg, you look really good. And other days, oh, you just kind of lost us that game. Yeah. So if you have Cat and, and you also have Dario and then you kind of have Gorgie and Jamichael Green as your, your backups who you're going to lean on to kind of at both positions, that sounds good to me. Right. And, like, a, a, another name I you know I pulled up to is, like, Dwayne Dedman, and I think that would probably take the full mid-level. I think if you're going to invest, yeah, when you would need to be picking between, like, Jermichael Green or Patrick Preble. You can't have both. Mm-hmm. It's one mid-level. So I think the only way you really justify a Green or a Deadman is if you have found a way to either get off of Gorgie Jang or just deem that kind of put him back in that role where he maybe is playing if they need another like center defender. Yeah. Not actually in the rotation. In my opinion, I think you need to try and find a way to make Gorgie Jang a consistent 14, 15, 16 minute a game guy. It just, there would just be value in that. And I think it's possible mm-hmm. in the right sort of scheme and his engagement 
using him a little bit differently um, on, on both ends of the floor. Like, I, I kind of like the idea more than that, rather than just like mozgoving him and just being like, you yeah, don't don't play or we're going to pay assets to get off of you. I don't think Gorgie Jang is there yet, but Rosas might not yeah. think that. Well, and a Gorgie is such an interesting case. It's I'm fascinated to see how he responds to a new regime, whatever his role is, because he was a much more consistent player before Tom Thibodeau came, before he signed his extension. I thought he was a more consistent player. And mm-hmm. then throughout the Thibodeau regime, he was pretty upfront with the fact that he didn't like that there was little communication, that he didn't know whether he was going to play or not. And Maybe he's just the kind of player who that ends up affecting his on-court production. So whether he's going to be a 15 or 16-minute-a-night guy or whether he's going to just be a situational role player, maybe this front office will do a better job of communicating that with him, and that oh. will just help him. And I'm sure they will. Right. And that will just But help. it was. I mean, it was not communicated. And it seemed harmful it was, for, I mean, for Gorgie. And that's you can just very much tell with his personality that yeah. that just like doesn't would rub him the wrong way. Whereas somebody like Anthony Tolliver is more like, all right, and I've been, I've been around, I've seen this a little bit more, like just put my head down, do my work. Like I just think Gorgie Jing is personality type different than that. Yeah. I agree with that. Yeah. Um, the other one, and this is like kind of close your eyes when you look at the stats, uh, is Justin holiday. <laughs> um, he, he really struggled with, uh, once he went to Memphis and it was, and it wasn't great before that when he was in Chicago. Um, but those teams suck. <laughs> so <laughs> I think that's in, an important piece of context. Um, he, he's just a guy to me who is – you can put him out there, be your fifth guy, and he can shoot the corner three. And and he's big, long, can play, can play defense too. He, yep. and he's 30 years old. That's, that's, I don't think he's like cooked by any means, doesn't really have an injury history. So I, I think there's there's intrigue if – and this – he wouldn't be a full mid-level guy. This would kind of be like if you're splitting that up in half yep. and you're trying to – you know, you grab him and then you grab like a low-level center to be – you know, to, to like, I don't know, some sort of mashing of of the mid-level. Like I think he – like $3 million. Yeah. I think I think you could get him and it's – the those assets are scarce. Yep. And it just, I mean, you can look at the stats and be like, that wasn't, wasn't good, but he's got a seven foot wingspan Yep, and he's six, seven. Like he's a, he's a guy that, that I think could help an NBA, the right NBA team in a, in a minimized role. He, he, it cut worse when he went to Memphis because they asked him to do more. Way too much. And that, that's, that's more so his issue, I think, than having an NBA skill set. Yeah. I have never felt like he's like a super plus defender, but I think that there are things he does well on the defensive end. And I think he's almost uh, a disservice is done onto him because of that height and wingspan. Mm-hmm. And that makes, he pe- doesn't necessarily use it. Well. Yeah. That makes right. people assume like, all right, he's going to guard LeBron tonight. He's going to guard the big wings, but he just shouldn't. He does a better job of defending smaller wings. So if you can play him next to Robert Covington, maybe that just really helps him right. out. And maybe that emboldens him to, to succeed. Right. But I, I do kind of like the idea of splitting it up unless you can get somebody like Patrick Beverly, mm-hmm. who you're just totally Bought in on. Or just someone who uh, we maybe we don't even agree with, but if you're like Gerson Rosas and you're like, this threads the needle of exactly what we need, we're going to go all in on using the mid-level. If not, then split up into two pieces and round the roster out with less minimums because you've gotten two, you know? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I see <clears throat> I see logic in both options. Um, it's kind of sexier to use the whole mid-level. Yeah. Like, to be like, oh, this guy is... You, Those type of guys are going to contribute. Yeah, you know that they're good. Right. The other ones are going to be more like the Justin Holidays, where some people will buy in and some people will just say Justin Holiday sucks. There, there is too, and I want to like point out and having gone through and like looked at the crop of shooting guards and small forwards, like it is weak. Mm. Like the free agency crop is weak, and particularly when you got to like draw that line in the sand of nine million dollars, like. I mean, the, the Trevor Reeses are going to be above that. The J.J. Reddicks are going to be above that. Like, you are getting a flawed player below $9 million yeah. because it's 
there is so much less there. Conversely, the bigs position, power forward and center, has like a lot of interesting guys that you could be like, well, I you know I could see like four mil- like a four million dollar player be you know really intriguing. Like I think like I think Taj Gibson is going to get very little and be a contributor on mm-hmm. some team. Yep, and that's just because one that type of well the league. Supply and demand. Yeah, right, right. Yeah, yeah that's what I was going to say. Yeah. Um, well, it's a, I think the perfect example is Milwaukee signing Brooke Lopez last year. Yep. Everybody's got a center. Nobody wanted him. They mm-hmm. said, okay, here's our biannual exception. Like, here, come and be our third best player on right. a, virtually a championship level team. There, there's just, and there's a lot of guys like that. Yeah. That's that a market bigs. inefficiency. A market, yes. Exactly. Yeah. Like, it's just going through it. And it's like, I think Al Farukamino is like, the mm. the peak guy somebody might be able to get at the mid level if he hits the market, sure. And then there's like poor man's Aminus out there, yep. Uh, who are maybe a little bit older, not not haven't shown as much you know effectiveness. But there's like there's a lot of them, like a Wilson Chandler, Jamichael Green, um, like a Rudy Gay that's a little bit different. Demar Carroll or Demar Carroll, yeah. uh, like Jared Dudley isn't the same body type as those guys, yeah. but like a another power forward who can you know can give you some punch on both sides of the ball exactly yeah like there's there's a anthony tall i mean there's a there's a ton of those guys out there and and the center positions is you know equally loaded too because the the market is is squeezing them out but they're not it's not like bigs don't play anymore no You, you still need bigs yeah and um it's just an area if you're your team maybe not the Timberwolves but like more generally speaking I, I I just love the idea for for a lot of teams of just kind of not caring at all about drafting a center like whatever and yeah. and going and just kind of cycling through Aaron Baines is Zaza Pachulia like a couple of years back like those type of guys who aren't going to cut into your cap at all maybe like Ennis Cantor this year like something like that where it's it's going to be cheap you're going to get some production, but you're relying on your surplus production to to come from the more, I don't know, the, the positions that drive the NBA now. Yeah, yeah, exactly. What well, I mean, it's interesting. Carl Anthony Towns is obviously worth every penny and more, but when you think about the Timberwolves payroll in that context, they're going to be paying $43 bucks to their center next season. That's about 40%. With Gorgia, of, Jang, yeah. With, Gor- with Kat and Gorgia, that's about 40% of their whole salary cap. That's good <laughs> that's not good it, well it, and that's my point is is saying like the 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 other lens of like if you just only invest like six million dollars in the entirety of your center position you know 103 million dollars yeah. to spend elsewhere it's just that's what teams are doing yeah and the wolves can't and hopefully never will need to do that or never will try that because they're always going to be heavily heavily invested in cat but um there's still an area to tap into that in the backup market. But again, as we brought up, Gorgie Jane kind of yeah. clouds that. Yeah. Um, the other two, just two restricted free agents that I thought were interesting. And I, I don't have a read on how much Thomas Sadaransky is going to cost. Like, no. where, where do you like? The, I, the Fred Van Fleet contract comes into my mind, which was yeah. $9 million bucks a year. That sounds about right to me, like more than what I expect Tyus Jones to get, mm-hmm. maybe twice as much as what Tyus will get. But $9 million bucks feels like a baseline for Sadaransky. He, he's an interesting one in the Wolves context and with where he plays because Washington is at this weird, like, what are we? stage yeah and i mean i could see them investing in him being like well he's going to be one of our starters for the next three years like we're going to pay him um but at the same time it's like a it's somebody i could see falling by the wayside and then sadaransky i think becomes interesting for a team like the wolves who has some need at point guard but it would also be valuable to play kind of like we were talking about with beverly where it's like okay we can play you a point guard but at the same time like we could play you off ball. You can defend. You can defend guys over six feet tall. Like he's he's an interesting interesting player in that sense, and played really well um, after Wall went down mm-hmm. and with a, with a bigger role. And I think that's it's it's the opposite of Justin Holiday, right? Like his role his role got bigger and his 
I, I mean, I guess I don't have his numbers in front of me, but yeah, it, it felt like his impact increased. Yeah, I always feel like Sadoransky's a the guy where when you are watching a Wizards game, you just see him diving for loose balls, just <laughs> yeah. like absolutely everywhere. He knows that maybe he's not like an elite defender, but if he does all those little things, he's going to be the effective defender he has been. And that's something the Timberwolves could use. I was, I was like going to, you know, write an article about all these type of guys that, you know, the Wolves could potentially do. And I was, you know, grabbing some pictures for it. And uh, I did Sadoransky, <laughs> like three of his top pictures, like USA Today to use, are him guarding Dario Saric. Oh, really? And I was like, that's not a point guard. But like yeah. that kind of shows that they had, you know, and the Wizards sucked at defense and that was maybe the bigger telling issue is that they're point guard guarding six <laughs> eleven guys. But um, he, he just... Sadoransky could defend a lot of different people. At least 6'7". Yeah, he's big. Yeah. 27, that's older than I thought, but I guess that was just his, you know, his his yeah. path to the league. I didn't know that. Um, the one other one, and this is mostly born out of the fact that I really liked him out of the draft, and he's totally stunk, is Ronda Hellas Jefferson. Mm. Um, he he basically played center yeah. <laughs> for the Nets. Uh, I just think he's a guy that I'm again not we're not talking about this through the lens of the nine million dollar range but if you're really breaking it up or maybe I mean he he's like one of those guys like Stanley Johnson or something where there might not be any market at all might not even get a qualifying offer might be like the minimum something like that like that's and that's interesting like yeah. when you're a team who has a litany of defensive issues Getting a player who will help address those in a bench role, like I, I think he could impact that, you know, um, immediately, and and play. Um, whereas, you know, like a rookie, as we were just going through, you're like, well, we don't know, yeah, don't know how they'll they'll translate immediately. It would be, it'd be interesting to me because he's still so young. It would be especially interesting to me if the Wolves acquired him because there are so many new Brooklyn Nets connections <laughs> right. with this team. Yeah. So I, f I would figure, I mean, unless it ends up being a minimum situation where it's just like, all right, great, like mm -hmm. go get that 24-year-old who's on a minimum now. Um, but if they, if they have to spend some money on him, it, it'll be interesting. But I think it would be especially interesting because they would have to believe in that. Like they know a lot about Ronda Hollis Jefferson, right. this group, this new front office and coaching staff. So if they're, if they, if they make it a prerogative to go get him, I must believe that they see something in him. Right. It is, it is, you kind of, anytime, well, Tangela Russell, obviously yeah. you know, comes up and you're like, okay, Gianluca Pascusi, yep. like he was there. Now they hire Pablo Prigioni, mm -hmm. who is the player development coach there. It's, it's, it's easy to, it's easy to kind of draw those lines and those, connections and that is kind of you know historically what happens a lot of times a gm or personnel person who is elsewhere says like hey this is a i know this guy i've seen what he can do he's an untapped you know resource for us like it's it's worth investing in and so now kind of the two air teams you can look at are uh the rockets obviously for the Rosa's angle and then the, the Nets, I think very much so too, are like, yeah. they would know. Those are two great teams to be kind of trying to model yourself right. after. <laughs> and then the Detroit Pistons, <laughs> that's where Gupta was. Yeah. I don't I don't have any Pistons on my list. <laughs> He's just the trade machine guy. <laughs> yeah, that's fine. He doesn't need to do the player. Drum. Yeah. Um, all right. Uh, I think that's all we tried to rip through as, uh, as many of those as we could. Um, I'll be putting together some stuff on, on free agents. So, um, you know, look for that on the, the website and, um, we'll just, I'll continue writing and talking about Patrick Beverly because I'm excited oh, to read it. I like it. I like him. I, I, it's it, my, I told you it's my, it's my number one within reason. Yep. Like move. Obviously D'Angelo Russell is like attractive for those reasons, but, um, Beverly in like a relatively small move, I just think it'd be it would make a lot of sense for this team. So we'll have that. Uh, next week is the draft on Thursday. So I, we're not sure exactly. We'll probably do a podcast after that. See if the Wolves are active that day, yeah. landing someone or making a trade. Like we will be writing on that and then figuring out a podcast from there. But yeah, we keep keep going. Yeah.
Onward. Onward. <laughs> All right. Uh, I'm Dane Moore, uh, at Dane Moore MBA on Twitter. Charlie is at C. John's MBA. And you can follow all our stuff at Zone Coverage MN. Until next time, peace out. How I'm feeling, man, I hope it never stop, yeah. Green it hard so you can find me in the crowd, yeah, yeah. Don't let standards ever, ever bring you down, yeah. Hope you're dancing like nobody else around, yeah. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.